Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Titus. The book of Titus in chapter number 3. The book of Titus in chapter number 3. We are continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles and we're on our last message on the book of Titus. On Sunday morning, we'll be hitting the book of 2 Timothy to finish this off. For those who may be asking, why did we skip a book and and hit 2 Timothy last, it's because we are hitting it in a chronological order, which we'll cover more of that here a little bit later in this message, as tonight's message is a natural lead-in into the book of 2 Timothy. But as for now, we come to the book of Titus. If you remember that Titus is Paul's son in the faith, and that this book is unusual from the rest of Paul's epistles, as that it is one of the pastoral epistles that it's written not to a church, but to a man who is acting in behalf of the office of a pastor. And remember that Titus has been set in the island of Crete for the purpose of starting churches, ordaining elders in every city. Now, he's been in Crete for a while. Uh, Paul had reminded him that this is why I set you here, but Titus had been in the island of Crete for quite a while, and this is setting up a little bit of the context of what we see here in the book of Titus in chapter number 3. If you don't mind, in Titus chapter 3, pick it up with me in verse number 9. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, the word of God says this, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. When I should send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Necropolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Titus in chapter number 3? Titus in chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse number 14. Titus 3 in verse 14. Notice the phrase, maintain good works. Or actually, notice the phrase a little bit before that. Learn to maintain good works. Learn to maintain good works. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to hit this message here as Paul is saying his goodbye to his son in the faith, Timothy, giving him some last-minute instructions at the very last of this epistle with the idea here, learn to maintain good works. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who's 
so gracious, so loving, so kind. Even as I was reading the text, it still amazes me that you use me for the ministry. That you use me for your uses. It's amazing why you would use someone like me. And I don't take it for granted. I thank you for it. And I'm asking that you would just help encourage all of us to keep moving forward, to keep advancing forward, to use the momentum that you've allowed us to have to advance forward in the fight of faith, to advance forward in following after you, and that you would do something encouraging in our lives today. Lord, again, I'm asking for a spiritual work to be done, that you could keep people moving forward. To do this, I need to be out of the way. So the best I know how, once again, I surrender myself, my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my ideas, that you put your Holy Spirit through here, that you would be with my words, my lips, my thoughts, that everything would be done the way that you order them to get accomplished exactly what you want done. Thank you for, again, for being a wonderful God and bless your word tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The poll... As he's talking to Titus here, he's given his last minute instructions. And he gives the instructions that for the people of Crete, for the churches that have been started, for those that have been discipled to move on, that he is to be an example to them so that way they can learn to maintain good works. Now this is important. If you can might imagine a child a little baby when he starts learning to walk. He doesn't get anywhere fast. Remember, you make a big deal of the, the first steps that he has. That, you know, you have mom holding the baby and you have dad that says, come here, come here. And the baby thinks about taking a step, holds his hands out and finally takes a step and everyone cheers. Yay! But you don't go anywhere too quickly when you can only take one step at a time. A little bit later, the child can manage a couple steps and then it falls and then you yay and cheer the baby on and, and they take a couple steps more and then they fall and they learn how to get around with handrails and wouldn't life be easier if there was handrails everywhere you went? But it doesn't work that way. They have to learn to walk on them for themselves and then what happens is they learn how to walk and then they have so much energy, they run everywhere. And they don't go anywhere fast. They're fast, but they're not going anywhere. They bounce from here to here and here to here and here to here. And, and, and you're trying to catch them and keep up with them. But they learn how to move, but they're not advancing. Eventually, they learn how to go somewhere. They learn how to walk somewhere. They know how to go where, to something with purpose. We understand that the Christian life is often the same way. That you get a brand new born-again Christian. Everything's new. What am I supposed to do now? Read your Bible. So they get excited. They read their Bible. And then they take a step. And then it kind of sets it down for a little bit. What happens is they have to build the habit of obedience to Christ. They have to get the habit of reading their Bible. And they started getting a little bit more momentum. You know, and then we teach them to pray. All right, this is how you pray. And, and they get a couple stutter starts where they pray and then a couple days without praying and then they pray and a couple more days. And, and you've got this thing of growth where they keep going. But now as a Christian begins to grow and as a Christian begins to get momentum, and as a Christian begins to take step after take step and step and step, and, and they begin, instead of falling, taking a couple steps and falling, and a couple steps and stopping, and a couple steps and waving around and trying to catch their balance, now they're taking step 
after step, after step, after step, after step. And now as they begin to take those steps, what is important now is that they learn to maintain good works. To be able to maintain, to keep taking step after step after step. Because it's good. That's the very first foundation of the Christian is to teach them to take a step. And then another step. And then another step. But once they start moving, and now once they stop having to be reminded, have you read your Bible? Have you read your Bible? Have you prayed? Have you prayed? But now it's second nature. And they have it in there. Now you want them to keep moving. You want them to keep advancing. You want them to keep walking. And what Satan likes to do is get them to stop. To slow down their momentum. You understand the Christian life goes in one of two directions. That's it. You are either advancing forward or you're backsliding. Advancing forward or backsliding. There is no standing still. There is no coasting in the walk with God. You either are advancing forward or you're sliding back. That's it. And so Paul is instructing Titus for all those disciples, all the people that he's helped uh, lead to the Lord, that he's helped train as people, churches are now started in different cities within the island of Crete. He's saying, now you got to keep them walking. You got to keep them moving forward because Satan wants them to stop. Satan wants them to slow down and he's going to put obstacles in their way. And you need to teach them that they learn to maintain good works. So if you don't mind with this idea here, let's watch as the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who is acting as the pastor, establishing these churches with people who are saved, people who are been discipled, and people who are moving forward. Notice as he gives them some instructions to keep them moving forward. The very first thing I'd like to show you here is to learn to maintain good works by avoiding foolish questions. Learn to maintain good works by avoiding foolish questions. Notice with me in verse number 9. But avoid foolish questions. Does it get any more blunt than that? Avoid foolish questions. Now may I take a pause here? Questions are good. Questions are great. Questions are necessary. The, the mark of a disciple, the word disciple literally carries the idea of a learner. The mark of a disciple, the mark of a student is questions. Someone who is not asking questions is not growing. Someone who's not asking questions about the Bible isn't reading the Bible. You should always have questions. And there are good questions to ask. And you should be asking questions and learning and moving forward. But the Bible says there are certain questions to avoid. Not saying to stop all questions. But some questions to avoid is this. But avoid foolish questions. The word foolish carries the idea without regard to God. Now why is this a big deal? Because one of Satan's favorite ways to stop a Christian is to get him sidetracked. And to get him sidetracked by foolish questions. Notice, but avoid foolish questions. Questions that don't have any regard of following after God. 
and genealogies. Now, there's nothing wrong with biblical genealogies. Remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But the genealogies they're talking about is that many Jewish followers would come in and try to say, well, of this lineage and this lineage, and they would carry their lineages with them. Notice this, avoids foolish questions and genealogies and contentions. You know, there are some things that are easily contended in the Bible, meaning that it's a hot button topic that you could press that button and step back and watch them fight. It's almost like you go into a Starbucks and you say the name of our president and then you step back and watch the fight. There are just certain things that you could easily start a fight on just by mentioning it. And now people are up in arms and they're fighting. And Satan likes that. He loves it. He loves it when someone gets on their hobby horse and gets and preaches a message that knows it's going to cause contentions. And, but the Bible says, but to avoid foolish questions and genealogies and strivings about the law. The word striving carries the idea of fights, contentions, strivings about the law. Now remember, it's talking about the uh, Old Testament law and the Judea, Judaizers would come in and they would try to get little tidbits about the law. Well, doesn't the law say this? And you know, there's a lot of hard things to deal with in the law. And the Old Testament scriptures, the Levitical law. And there's biblical ways of answering that. But if someone's not prepared for it, they could tie them in knots and confuse and cause someone to doubt their faith and, and mess people up. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. Notice this summary now. For they are unprofitable and vain. They are unprofitable profitable and vain. The word unprofitable means it's not good for you. It doesn't advance you. Sometimes people can get their favorite little idea in the Bible, their favorite little twist of the Bible, and that's all they want to talk about. And what happens when it's all said and done, it doesn't help someone move forward in their Christian life. May I give an example? The Bible gives a prophecy in Daniel about uh, the image. And the image talks about how their, their feet, uh, the image's feet are mixed with clay and iron. And it gives an interpretation. But the people will say, well, you know, there's ten toes in Daniel. So which ten toes is the world divided up into? Well, that may be interesting, but that doesn't help someone live the Christian life. Someone could get up and give a very entertaining message about nothing. That's what the word vain is. The idea of empty light. They could preach a nice fluff message. But when it's all said and done, how does that help me to pray for my bills? How does that help me to encourage me to read my Bible? How does that help me to tithe and to pray and to see answers to prayer? And there's many light and empty things that we could preach about that doesn't help anybody at all. And the Bible says to avoid those things. Because at the very end, they don't help anybody. They don't help anybody on a daily basis. Who cares what the ten toes of Daniel are if they don't help me tomorrow when I go to work to deal with those crazy people who hate me? Notice as it goes on in verse 10. A man that is a heretic, the word heretic carries the idea of someone who rejects sound biblical doctrine in order to espouse another doctrine. So a heretic is someone who says, I don't quite believe the Bible says that. This is what I believe. And they grab a hold of that. Notice this. A man that is a heretic after the first 
And second, admonition, reject. Now, what it's talking about is church discipline. Now, we understand that we live in a religious society where people have a little bit of knowledge of the Bible and a lot of faith and a lot of tradition. So someone who comes into our church, they not, may not believe everything we believe. They are allowed to come to church. They are allowed to be part of the church. When someone joins the church, they are saying that they agree with our statement of faith. But someone can still disagree with us. What they do not have the right to do is teach their doctrine inside of the church. And so let's say that someone comes in the church and they start pulling some people aside and say, you know what, pastor's wrong on this. I don't believe that's true. This is what I believe. And they start trying to tell everyone what they believe and how pastor is wrong. Well, in that case, we need to go up to them and try to be loving and say, listen, we don't believe like that here in the church. I'd love to try to explain to you. I'd like to have explanation, you know, and if you don't believe like us, that's fine, but you can't teach that doctrine. If they look at us and say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to teach whatever I want. Well, that's a problem. After the second time of doing that, we need to reject them. Meaning that we need to practice discipline, set them aside, so that way they can't bring strife within the church. They can't be teaching those things within the church because they'll cause a problem. And here, Titus is the given instruction here that if a man is a heretic who's teaching something other than the Bible, he's grabbed a hold of something else, and you've gone to him once, and you've gone to him twice, and he refuses to change his way, and he still wants to try to teach people in the church and tell everyone how the pastor's wrong, then we need to reject them. We need to set them aside. We need to put them over because we need to protect the church. Why? 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 Verse 11, knowing that he, this is that man that's a heretic, that such is subverted. The word subverted here carries the idea of perverted. He's perverted in his thinking. He's perverted in his understanding of the word of God. Perverted, knowing that such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned himself. Meaning that when it deals with the word of God, that God is going to be the one that judges. And that if somebody rejects part of the word of God and comes up with their own idea, their own theory, they're not in trouble with us. They're in trouble with God. And the Bible says, set them aside because you don't want to be mixed up with that. It's going to cause people to stop their growth. And how many times false doctrine has gone into a church and distracted people. And instead of them moving forward, now they're standing in one place. And remember that there's only two positions. You're either moving forward or sliding back. And as people are trying to talk about this false doctrine and think it through, what's happening is that they're no longer advancing forward, but they're slowing down. And the Bible says that for the instructions for Titus, that you need to teach them. You need that they learn to maintain good works, that they need to keep going forward. And you as the pastor need to guard them and keep false doctrine from coming in. Vain conversation, empty conversation, strifes and contention that will stop them from moving forward and cause them to stop. Avoid that, stop that, protect them. Learn to maintain good works by avoiding foolish questions. Notice there's a second thing here that we see here. Uh, that not only are they to maintain good works by avoiding foolish questions. But we also see learn to maintain good works 
by taking care of the preachers. Learning to maintain good works by taking care of the preachers. Notice with me in verse number 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me to Necropolis, for I have determined there to winter. Now what we see in verse 12 is that Paul says, uh, Titus, I'm going to need you. So what I'm going to send is I'm going to send a replacement. And I don't know who I'm going to send yet. I don't know whether I'm going to send Artemis or I'm going to send Tychicus. But I'm going to send one of these guys. They're going to be your replacement. Now we know in history that it was Artemis who came to Crete. Now what's going on in history is some other major things. The book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy was written in a time that we call in between uh, Paul's prison sentences. If you remember that the apostle Paul was sent to Rome the first time because the Jewish people had put accusation against him. And so he got to Rome and he waited and he waited and he waited for someone to come from Jerusalem to accuse him. And after a while, he stood before Nero, who was the Roman emperor, and he pled his case, witnessed to Nero. And Nero said, I don't see anything wrong with you. Uh, thank you for letting me listen. I've never heard about Christianity like this before, but now I understand what you believe. Uh, do you have a country you belong to? No one claimed. Okay, fine. That's good to know. And so he sent Paul on his way. During this time, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy began to start churches again. However, Paul, looking Nero eyeball to eyeball, understood that there was some madness and there was some craziness about to happen. And sure enough, it did. Nero was crazy in his mind and things that he did to his mother. He tried to assassinate his own mother three times. I mean, there was one time that he put his mother on a boat with a hole on it and sent her to sea, and the boat sank, but she swam to a different shore. She finally made it back, and, hi, Mom, how are you? I mean, he did all kinds of crazy things, and we're not going to get into the craziness of Nero at this time, but one thing that Nero did do is that he always fancied himself a great director, and so for his own amusement, he set the city of Rome on fire. In fact, there was an old phrase that said, as Rome um, burned, Nero played. But uh, he didn't necessarily play a fiddle. But what he imagined is he was playing a great play, a great director. And as Rome burnt in the background, he could imagine different characters on the background of it. And he watched it. Well, then when Rome burnt to the ground and a lot of the people were without houses, they were not quite happy, as you could imagine. Could you imagine someone setting all of Green Bay on fire and all of the east side burnt down? You think there might be some unhappy people? Absolutely. Rome was one of the biggest cities in the world at that time. And to have most of the housing blown, uh, burned up, well, now people are ready to riot. And as they started to turn to Nero, and rumor was when Nero started it, Nero stepped in and said, let me tell you who did it. It was those Christians. Let me tell you about those Christians. I had one of the leaders in front of me at one time. His name was Paul. And you know what they told me? They believe that the dead rise again. And they practice witchcraft. In addition, they're cannibals. That they drink the blood of their leader. And they eat his flesh. And they hide out away from everyone else. And they don't have a country they belong to. They're hiding everywhere. There are Christians all among you. 
and their evil. And so he convinced the Roman people that it was the Christians who were to blame. And it was the Christians that were the dreads of society. And it was the Christians that caused all the problems. And so now Christianity is now illegal. And this began the first of 10 persecutions under the Roman government. And in order to show that Nero was taking care of the Christian problem, he arrested the Apostle Paul and Peter. But this is happening at the same time. Paul sends Artemis to go replace Titus. He gets there. Titus goes to meet Paul. And instead of Paul being where he's supposed to, he got arrested. And he is brought in chains to Rome. And he's sitting at the maritime prison. By the way, that is where he pins the book of 2 Timothy. And why we're going to hit 2 Timothy last. Because Paul is sitting in prison. And this time it's not a cushy house arrest. But he's in a dungeon. And now people are running away from him. But Titus was supposed to go and see Paul. But notice, if you don't mind, the instructions that Titus was to do while he was still there in the island of Crete. Notice with me in verse 13. Bring Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. What we see here is Zenus, the lawyer, someone who studied the law, and Apollos, the famous preacher, had come to the island of Crete. Basically, we can imagine they were having a revival meeting. They were having a missions conference. And so Titus was supposed to make sure that every need that the preachers had were taken care of. You know, a lot of times people don't realize how much of a cost it is to take care of a guest preacher. A lot of things are taken for granted. You almost imagine that they bring the preacher in. He magically appears behind the pulpit. He gives a message. It feels good. And then that's it. And maybe you give him a couple dollars and send him on his way. But you understand that you have to bring the preacher in. You have to take care of his cost. Even to the island of Crete. There's no easy way to get there. You have to take a ship. So you have to hire passage to get to the ship. Then when you get there, they have to eat from time to time. So you have to take care of their meals. Then they have to stay somewhere. You have to take care of their lodging. You have to take care of any needs that come up. And Paul's instruction to Timothy was to make sure that Apollos, the guest preacher, Zenos, the lawyer, someone who studied the Bible, that as they went and began to preach at each of those churches in the island of Crete that they were taken care of. That was the responsibility to take care of the man of God, to make sure there was nothing wanting, that they lacked nothing so that way Apollos and Zenos can go to churches and preach and they don't have to worry about, am I going to eat tonight? Where am I going to sleep? That was something for the host pastor, the host churches to take care of. And by the way, we have the same responsibility when we bring in preachers. We have to take care of their hotel room. We have to take care of their food. We have to make sure that they have their needs met, that they don't lack in anything. We have to make sure that we give them enough to pay their way, whether they fly or car. Those are things that have to be taken care of. And that's something the pastor is supposed to instruct. And that they're supposed to maintain good works by taking care of the preacher. Remember, as I gave the illustration before uh, in prayer time, where God said, me first. Dealing with the idea of the widow of Zarephath. Me first. Me first. If you take care of God's business, he'll take care of your business. 
We need to make sure that we have enough to take care of the preachers, that we supply the needs. So that way we're not having to dig around and beg, but everything is taken care of. That's part of the responsibility. But as people learn to take care of the preachers, as people learn that we need to give a little bit extra in order to take care of these guests that we have and to make sure that their needs are met, to be conscious about those things, that's part of it moving forward. What's the principle here? That we understand when we learn to serve others, especially the man of God, it helps us to move forward in our own Christian life. To find a way to be a servant to a man of God. To honor God by serving the person that he has called to his ministry. To be a blessing. To find out how to take care of them. It's one of the ways to help us to move forward. To be conscious of the needs of God's man. That's why God took care of the widow of Zarephath that we see in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 17. That remember, as I said before... She looked in that barrel and had just enough for one more meal and looked and had just enough for that one more meal because she took care of the preacher first. God took care of it. It's one of the ways to help maintain, to learn to maintain good works, to help move forward is to take care of the preachers, which brings us to one last thing. Not only to learn to maintain good works by avoiding foolish questions, learn to maintain good works by taking care of the preachers, but also to learn to maintain good works by encouraging others to bear fruit. Learn to maintain good works by encouraging others to bear fruit. Now notice with me in verse number 14. And let ours, notice this, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. Now in the context, it's just now talking about taking care of Apollos and taking care of Zenos. And it says, and let ours learn. What Titus is supposed to do is supposed to let the people of Crete and the churches know that he is taking care of the preachers. He, that this is part of what needs to happen. This is what we have to take care of. This is what we're responsible of. This is what to, how to give a good love offering. That's part of what a pastor is supposed to instruct to the people. So that way they understand and they go, wait, there is a lot of things to it. We do have a responsibility to take care of it. So that way the church people get a part in taking care of the preacher. And they get part of the rewards and part of the benefits. And learn the principle of taking care of God first. You take care of God's business. He'll take care of your business. What an important lesson. And he says, I want the Cretans to learn, Titus. So tell them what you're doing. Tell them that you've got to take care of the preacher. Tell them that you may need to take care of this. And it will help them to move forward in their own Christian life so they could bear fruit. So that way they can move forward. So they can be a part. They're conscious of the efforts. So that there be nothing wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary, necessary uses. This is the idea here. This is things that are necessary. We're not sending it on fluff, but things that need to be taken care of. You need to instruct them. This is things that we need to take care of so that they know that they be not unfruitful. <laughs> this is part of the instructions here is that these people learn good works and that they should have fruit abounding. Then Paul ended with the greeting that all those that love Titus, hey, everyone says hi and they love you. Notice again in the last verse. And all that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. 
And so Paul says, hey, all those people out there that love us, you tell them I said hello. All those people that love Paul, you let them know that Paul's praying for them and thinking about it. All those people that love that guest preacher, he wants you to know that he loves you too and he's thankful for you and that love and how you've taken care of them, watched over them. But I want your fruit to abound. Now, again, the whole principle that we're learning here is not talking about baby steps. It's talking about those that have got momentum. They're beginning to move forward for the Lord. They're walking forward faithfully. They're not stopping. They're not following. They're not stuttering, but they're moving forward. We need to keep them moving forward. We need to keep them advancing in the Lord. Keep them maintaining. There's never a place to stop in the Christian life. There's never a place where you arrived and say, I'm good. I don't have to grow anymore. It is a never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Always advancing. Always moving. So with that, let me ask you a question. Are you still growing? Are you moving forward for the Lord? Or are you stuck? Are you stagnant? Are you in a ditch? My pastor used to say the only thing... The, uh, what, a, what a rut is, is a grave with both ends knocked out of. Somewhere where you get stuck. In the Christian life, you should always be advancing. Are you closer to the Lord than right now than what you were a year ago? If you are not, you are backslidden. If you are stagnant, you are backslidden. Now, I'm saying this because I want you to learn to maintain good works. I want you to keep going forward, moving forward, and have nothing slow you down. Nothing to stop you. That avoid foolish questions. Avoid things that are going to entangle you and to keep you to stop. Keep learning good doctrine and keep moving forward. Learn to be a servant to others, especially the men of God. Find ways to serve them and to be a help so that way we can get the blessing and abound. By the way, if we invest in a special meeting coming in, we'll, be, we'll get more out of it because we invested in it. We, we want it to go forward. We want it to work. We want it to take care of. There's something about it that where your heart is, there your treasure is as well. If your heart's in the meeting, you're going to get something out of it. And then it carries the idea to teach others to bear fruit. That keeps us moving forward. To explain what we're doing and why. And keep them all moving forward. Just being a servant. Keep moving forward. That the Christian life is all about this. That if you're going to fall, fall forward. But keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. So again, I ask you the question. Are you still moving forward for the Lord? Or are you stuck? Now, if you're stuck, you're not without hope. Just recognize where you are and say, Lord, help me to take a step forward. What's my next step? What do you want me to do? And start taking steps again. Keep moving forward. Keep growing. Keep following after Christ. Learning to maintain good works. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.